this week and next week will, they will be uh, in competition for our worst episode ever. <laughs> okay. Well, let's see who can win. That's who right. wins? The one who loses? Or all right, here we go. That's right. <laughs> Hey, welcome to Shirts and Ties, a culture and education podcast. I'm Casey Shirts, And I'm Brian Miller. Hey, Brian, what are we talking about today? Well, I do want to just mention first and foremost that, uh, man, I'm, I'm in a conference in New York City. You are on a snow day. So if, if everything is just a little bit off, we're off. <laughs> uh, but yeah. that's okay. But what I've been wrestling with, and um, I, met, I mentioned a couple episodes ago, I, I read a quote from the end of education, Neil Postman about gods and about how all gods are are potentially unhealthy and, and at worst destructive. And I've, I've been thinking about that for actually several years about gods of education. What are some of the gods that we serve and what are the unintentional consequences of that? Um, and so one of the inspirations behind this was um, when I would travel in my old school, I would do a lot of traveling for like basketball games or different things to different schools around Montana. And I began to develop this um, awareness of, I don't know the school at all. I don't know anything about the, their, their mission statement or their culture, but I'm going to try and assess something about them just by walking through the entrance. What is the God that they serve? And so I was very intentional about looking at the entryways, what's outside their school, right? Even as a guest walking in, what are they advertising first? And then what are their hallways littered with? Um, and I just was very aware of that. And I appreciated even just that exercise for now my own buildings of when someone comes in, I like this idea of a school being synonymous with like a cathedral, right? So what are what are the certain gods or what are the, the commandments that we post? And unintentionally, what does that mean for the culture of our school? I think walking through at times a process of what gods do we serve and one of the unintentional consequences of that is, a, is an important process to walk through. A couple of years ago, and I know that as a, a building, we're still working through this process, but a couple of years ago, we changed out our display that used to have trophies in it, and it was just trophies. And, and some of the trophies were, were super old, right? Yep. And we now have a section where we are putting kids names who are meeting our three R's respect, responsibility and relationships. And for me, I like that a lot because it it starts to shift what we celebrate. And so, you know, you talk about what are our gods, what are we worshiping in our building? If, if we put those things on display is probably what we're worshiping. And so I love the fact that we're putting kids names who are meeting those expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And my old, again, my old school, we had, Anytime we had board meetings, we just met in this kind of non-essential room, right? It didn't really serve a purpose throughout the day. And so we had all their board meetings there. And it just kind of was a boring room, nothing on the walls. And I heard a superintendent at a conference a couple of years ago talk about how he had a similar space. And he spent a ton of effort and time filling that room with pictures of students. And he's like, I wanted it to be a tangible reminder as we're wrestling with decisions and wrestling with what's what the direction of our school. We need to see the faces of our students. And so I'm with you. Uh, I, I have in the last couple buildings I've been in, I've been very intentional about students of the week. Uh, their pictures are going up in the entryway. And we are very specific about writing why they want it. Like uh, I want it to be words attached to that student of the week. And I want that to be anytime somebody walks through, especially when the kids are walking to lunch every day, they see that because that's what we're talking about. That's what we want to 
emphasize. So yeah, that's good. I appreciate that. So yeah. Um, and I just wanted to give a, a shout out to, cause I, I could see this amongst my staff too. And I popped into one of my social studies teachers classrooms the other day and it was just really cool because it, it was the student's work that just yep. plastered the walls of his building. It was fantastic or uh, of his room. So it was pretty awesome yeah. to see. So as we walk through this, I'm going to come from a, a administrative perspective, clearly. Um, you'll come, I think, from kind of like this mid-level, like still very much a part of the, the classrooms, but also have like this this administrative head on a little bit. But I even think um, for teachers, like I, I thought about this quite often as a teacher, what do I talk about most often and how is that potentially impacting my classroom and my, and my direction? And so even teachers, I think that's a good point. Like what is all over your walls? Is it student work? Is it posters uh, of various people? Uh, like we have a, a buddy, we have a buddy, uh, Eric Trogger, who I think of his classrooms, right? Um, his classrooms are incredibly intentional, but they create this sort of, cathedral of creativity so when you walk into his classroom it's it's the creative place that you already start getting into that theme or getting into that mode and i think that's very appropriate for his content subject so anyways yeah i was trying to listen to you but i'm feeling a little like uh dr doolittle here all my pets are like what are you doing man and they're coming down and checking me out so yeah no that's cool Uh, well let's dive into something so um i have a couple that i want to kind of wrestle with and then um, hopefully you have either some, some arguments against them or a couple that you brought your own self. And so I guess what I want to mention as well is I actually am a firm believer in religion. I think there's, there's, um, there's a lot of goodness in religion. I think there's a lot of destruction. The religion has definitely used itself to, to, to manipulate people and to do some bad things. And so anything that I want to present as I think a God of education, the thing in and of itself isn't bad. So I don't ever want it to come across that I'm saying, get rid of this thing. What I do want to wrestle with is what is the unintentional consequence of this being on front and center of of us essentially, quote unquote, worshiping this thing? What are the unintentional consequences? Are we aware of them? And and how do we compete against them? Well, and, and right away, you probably took one of the biggest things that I was thinking about as we came in, which was I don't necessarily think the problem is is what we worship. I think it's how we worship that thing. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so the, the one that is very front and center for me right now um, is is graduation. Um, that is a, a very easy focal point for all schools. Uh, and I think it's an incredible achievement. And I think it's something worth striving for. What I'm wrestling with is if we always talk about graduation and that becomes an idol of ours, there are some pretty quick and easy and destructive consequences if we only have that as our goal and we don't are we and we aren't intentional about how we get there. So it's like you just said, the 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 God of education isn't bad. It's how we get there that I think is potentially dangerous. And so um, I have this phrase uh, as I am in a district that we're kind of constantly talking about how do we get kids to graduate? The phrase that came to my mind recently is stop talking about graduation. You want kids to graduate, don't talk about graduation. Because if you're only talking about graduation, I think one of two things can potentially happen. Number one, what happens when you attain it? Right. So if we finally get graduation, what happens then? Uh, And then number two, which is, I think, a very common human reaction that we will accomplish potentially any task given to us. 
we may not always like the way in which we accomplish it. And so if we say kids need to graduate, we will get every kid to graduate if that becomes our absolute goal. But the unintentional consequence might be dumbing down education. It could be getting, getting to that place unethically, whether on the teacher side or the student side. So I don't have a goal of being married for 20 or 30 years. I have a goal of having a good marriage. And if I have a good marriage, I'll get to 20 and 30 years. Does that make sense? One of the phrases when, when you had lightly shared some of your ideas with me in preparation for today, you, that concept of God is dead, the, the Nietzsche concept. And, and I'm just going to, I'm going to say right away, I understand that he's controversial. I think um, like a lot of things, somebody who is half informed on Nietzsche's work can find a way to twist it. I know that a lot of extremists use some of his quotes, but even that idea, God is dead, when he was talking about that, we're not quite sure what he meant. Did he mean that we don't we don't need God, God is dead, we, we're, we're fine without him? Or was he saying that the way that we are living our life, we are killing God or, or, or pushing God out of our life? I think that that's applicable to education. The question about it, are our schools failing, you and I have brought this up a couple of times, I wonder if we're going through that same thing, if because of the the things that we're worshiping in education, because of the things that we're focused on in education, I wonder if that is what is making mm. us feel like schools are failing. Are we killing schools by worshiping the wrong things, by focusing on the wrong things? And I think that comparison is kind of apt. I, I like that comparison. And, and that was one of my favorite short stories. I forget the title of the short story, but you're absolutely right with the Nietzsche quote. It's been, it's been taken out of context and, um, and abused by many. Uh, but he was saying that exactly thing. Not that God is dead, but uh, God is dead because look at our actions. So clearly he's not living in well in our hearts and souls because look at the way we act towards one another. And so if he is dead, what are we? And he, he was kind of challenging, like, what are, you can, you can see what we worship by how we act. Right. And clearly it's not God, uh, according to Nietzsche. And so um, I think that's that's an important concept to to wrestle with. And we all humanity, we try and find simple solutions to complex problems. And uh, I think that's what we're going to try and do right here. And it's it's going to be incomplete. So education is probably dead because for sure we have false, quote unquote, idols that we are trying to strive after. Let's also just give our teachers, our administrators, public education a break in general that like there's it's a complex cog that we cannot dissect. I do think one of the reasons why communities and the public have a hard time attaching themselves to public education at times is because they look at what we're producing. They look at the God that we're serving and they're like, I, I, I'm not subscribing to that. It's the same reason why they, you know, they don't walk into a Catholic church or a Christian church or whatever is because they see the way in which people are living. And they're like, I, that's, that doesn't make sense to me. I wonder this too. Do you think some of the frustration is just how little it's changed? Because we're saying this thing is somehow worse than it used to be. I highly doubt that's true. You know, I had mentioned in that episode where Dr. Mary Jo Fresh came on that um, NAEP scores had fallen and that kind of thing. And I, but I think that's easily explained. We had the COVID year; a lot of schools were were shut down for over a year. Mm -hmm. You know, we fortunately were not. But generally speaking, you know, even the 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 debate over literacy, like, are kids less literate? I, I think 
I don't know if there's any good evidence that we are seeing a true decline in the quality of our education or anything like that. I think it's just been stagnant and yes. it's maybe not addressing some of the, the more modern concerns. That's where I'm at. So, and I don't really know how to articulate that God, what we're striving after. Maybe, I don't know what that is, but I, I would, I would agree with that in terms of we're not worse. One of our good friends, Matt hard used to say, um, Hey, when we used to kind of look back and say, look at the old way old schools used to be. And then that was so archaic. Yeah. But that still produced Bill Gates, right? That still produced some pretty monumental, uh, uh, what's the Amazon guy. Um, uh, Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos, right. Some pretty influential people. They came out of this old school way of education as well. So I would agree with you that we haven't shifted much. And that is maybe the big shift that I have in my heart that I want us to get away from things like, tangible graduation. I think graduation is important, but if we focused on things like character development, on integrity, on discipline, um, kind of hearkening back to our uh, do great things episode, if we focus on these more personal, I'm going to overuse the word character, character disciplines, graduation will happen. And so that's what I want to focus on. And that's where I think education isn't worse, but I think we, and I have some other potential reasons why, I think we are trying too hard to make it so specific and academic related when, although that's important, I think that's a guy that kind of needs to be put on the shelf. Yeah. Because isn't our goal to help people become happy and productive members of society? Like, isn't yes. that the goal? Graduating doesn't assure that building Correct. a certain set of skills is what would assure that. Correct. Now this is where um, I probably you and I kind of differ in the language we want to use. You are a man of integrity and you use the word integrity. And you think about that as you're trying to help build the students in your building, right? I, I certainly hope you're not going to then say, and I'm not a man of integrity. And I don't <laughs> think because that's not our differences. We are trying to create criminals and lawless people. Uh, no, it's... No. <laughs> The only concern I have with that word is to me, it's so closely tied to morals. And I get a little uncomfortable with that because we can see variances in that. And so in my perspective, the the God that we should be worshiping isn't related to a word like integrity. Instead, it's more related to a word like community. You know, how do we get people with a variety of interests, a variety of skills, and a variety of, you know, moral backgrounds to coexist in the same place in a healthy and safe way. So that's like, I, I just struggle with that a little bit. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is, I don't think you can have that healthy community without integrity. Um, and so I think you and I, we, I know that you and I have differences in our, some of our moral, moral codes, but both of us believe that we need to be kind. Both of us believe that we need to do the right thing. And we can disagree at times with what that means. But if if our moral code is consistently consider somebody else better than yourself and and don't be selfish, right? If we can, and I think that you would subscribe to that. Um, if that's a foundational moral code, um, if we can both believe that discipline, working hard, doing things well, even when you don't want to, your feelings don't always dictate what your actions um, at times you need to push through hard things. Um, if we can kind of find some of these foundational truths, I think collectively 
even if you look at most all religions, they have some of that similar baseline. Now, how it manifests itself can be different, but I'd rather focus and wrestle with that stuff. But this is why, and I think your point is a good one, this is why we don't do it in education because it's such a slippery, uh, difficult thing to grasp. It's a lot easier just to come up with these standards of, of reading and writing and math. And so we're going to do that because it's easier. I think the product then is why it's it's a, a faulty product. Right when I started education, so over 20 years ago, um, back in Ohio, they were already having that conversation about how do we pass legislation so that schools aren't allowed to talk about controversial things. Right. And to me, that that's, you know, in my adult life now, that's what a lot of legislative bodies have been trying to do is to eliminate that from our schools. But that's, I think, the thing that we have to be able to do is to have those difficult conversations. But I think what we're afraid of is not the conversation itself or the question itself. What we're afraid of is the answer and the implications that that answer might have for me and my beliefs. Yep. And so that's, I think that's a great point. And I'm going to, that's going to lead into one of my other gods of education that I, that I think we can all agree is, to, is a terrible god. Um, but things like To Kill a Mockingbird. We get rid of that because there's some controversial things in it that are controversial. But if you can get past those things or argue through those things, the the message of the book, I think almost anybody would subscribe to, right? Anyone that's that wants to live in a healthy community of diversity and and acceptance and and striving towards great things. Um, but it's it's a messy process because now I'm not just sitting here talking about reading and writing. I'm talking about moral beliefs and that can get pretty ugly in a classroom, much less in a school. And the reason why we don't do that is this is another one of the gods that I think we don't worship it. um, But it is a God that dictates our actions is fear, fear in public schools, whether it be personal ridicule in your classroom that you don't want angry parents coming after you and the things that you said about uh, a president or whether you said about uh, whatever it might be in my English class, it could be an easy ethical or moral discussion. Um, we, we walk into those pretty tentatively um, because we are a public shaming society that they will blow you up on Facebook. They will bring you, I mean, already in my two years in this new building, my name has been threatened to bring, to go before the school board because I'm making an ethical decision or moral decision and a parent or somebody doesn't like it. I'm going to go before the school board. Now, thankfully, I have some some pretty badass administrators who are like, hey, we're, we're going to wade into this, you know, like we're, we're going to yeah. push back in. You're going to go back to Mr. Miller. We're going to we're going to figure this out. And I love that. But the first reaction of the, at least the second for sure by the third frustrating moment is I'm going to go before the school board and I'm going to get him fired. Don't want to have hard conversations. You know, it seems kind of strange to me. You know, I'm just thinking again about my lifetime and we, we saw this transition when I was a kid and, and well before you were born, there was a lot of participation awards were handing out trophies to everybody. And, and that was highly criticized. Right. And, and I get it. Um, I also get why it happened. Right. We wanted to make people recognize that that having fun and working hard, even if you didn't win, like it was supposed to be celebrating the process. I don't know if it worked out that way. But we're trying we to see- get rid of the God of you're only successful if you win. Right. And it, it probably backfired. Sure. But what we see now is we see the pendulum swing completely the other direction. And now we see people who are, well, I don't want to read To Kill a Mockingbird because I'm going to feel bad 
And I don't want to feel that way. And I think that's a pretty soft thing too. So just like it was soft to give trophies to everybody, um, even if they didn't earn the victory, I think it's pretty soft to say, we won't talk about these things because it might make a, a group of people feel bad. And I, yeah, come on now, D- don't yeah. be so soft. I had a conversation this morning, uh, just a, a sweet little moment where last night, a buddy of mine, he sent me a text. He lives in Philadelphia. And I was like, hey, I'm in New York. Want to have breakfast? Ha, ha, ha. And he's like, yeah, I'll be there at 530. Uh, and it was a pretty sweet just kind of reunion with this guy. But he um, he was chatting about something, a different topic, but in a similar thread. And he used the word bargain. When you bargain, make a bargain with somebody, do you do you understand what you are giving up? And he was he was relating it to technology. When we make this bargain with technology to make our life simpler, to make our life easier, what are we giving up? And I think that's the concept that I don't, believe us as educators walk through enough. When I walk into this bargain and I accept these computers into my classroom, when we walk into this bargain and we accept um, maybe, I don't know what it is. I'm trying to be cautious on what I say. When we accept bargains in relationships with even the community, what are we giving up? And I do think one of the things that we have given up in our attempts to build relationships with our community, well-intentioned, all good, we have given up our platform of respect, maybe. Does that make sense? Like in many other cultures, educators are respected. I don't think we are in in America for some good reasons. YouTube has destroyed education where all the bad teachers are being posted all the time. Um, So there's some good reason to be frustrated. But in many ways in our bargaining with people in general everywhere, we have kind of reduced over time, slowly dwindled and reduced our own belief in ourselves that we actually know what we're talking about and that we we are professionals. Does that, does that make sense? I feel like I'm not explaining that well. I think what's happening is, so in the community, the most aggressive voices become amplified. They get the yep. attention, yep. but it's not a fair reflection of the the totality of what's happening. So a couple of Christmases ago, I, I made my wife a, a nice uh, TV console it's a it's a 50 style one it's easily the best thing i've ever made it's it's really really nice and anybody that walks into our house will see that thing and they'll think man that's an impressive piece of work and and most people would be shocked that i made it and i agree um all i see when i look at it though is i see the 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 yep. one door that is a little warp the one where the speaker is yep. behind it and i can't stand it and then um there's a, a little piece that wasn't glued as well as i needed and and it just so that's yep. all i see and that's i yep. can't even enjoy the thing because that's all i see and and so if if we're having these voices get amplified that are just talking about just nagging on us it's all we're going to be able to see and uh, and we want to we want to deal with that thing we want to somehow fix it Honestly, sure. the only way I could fix that door, I can't just get in. I, I'd probably just have to rebuild it. Is it worth that? Are we ready to rebuild this thing? Um, right. If I tried to fix the corner, I'd probably end up sanding it to the point that it was it, it wouldn't even look right anymore. So do I actually want to give that kind of attention to that thing? Or should I just enjoy the fact that this thing is actually a really nice thing that we have? Yeah, you should. And I think so this kind of started with my assumption that one of the gods that we serve is fear. And I think that that is a beautiful analogy that we spend so much time analyzing and being frustrated and losing the joy of our profession and even the joy of like moments that you have with students and fellow colleagues, because that freaking corner is slightly off. And that's all I can think about. But the problem is, and where your analogy breaks down, 
in hu- in human components, that corner is blasting you, yeah. taking you before your bosses, coming into your classroom, telling you that you're a terrible teacher, you don't care about kids. So I don't have an answer for this. And so as I'm kind of wrestling with these gods of education, I think one of the biggest frustrations I have is I don't have an answer necessarily, other than I want to spend a considerable amount of time questioning what what's the bargain that I'm striking when I when I enter these relationships? What is the unintentional consequences of going of of putting fear on this pedestal? And I think one of them is burnout for myself and for others. We're so freaking exhausted because you keep taking that record player back and trying to fix the corner and you can't. So stop worrying about the freaking corner. <laughs> right? Yeah. Just enjoy the damn thing. I have colleagues who I think won't be back next year because of it. Yeah. And it makes me sad because they're really good yeah. teachers. Yeah. Fantastic teachers who who desperately love kids and who are willing and have been willing to sacrifice their financial future, their their day-to-day like energy for other people. But this God of fear is a pretty devastating God and it demands a ton and gives very little. Uh, and so we need to somehow take that thing off the off the off the pedestal and say, it's there. We're going to acknowledge it, um, but we're not going to let it be a guiding force in our, in our classrooms and in our schools. And by the way, I think the solution to that is twofold. One, we have to make sure we have highly trained, well-supported teachers. If as a profession, we have a lot of bad teachers, then, then whatever complaints we're hearing are legitimate. And I don't know where we're at. I don't know if we really have a lot more bad teachers than we used to, but like we do have to make sure that we have well compensated, well trained, well supported teachers, and then we also need educational leaders to unify together and take a stand against this. I agree. One of the things that my role I feel as an administrator on this topic is um, accountability is a big piece. Um, so uh, Todd Whitaker wrote a book one time called "Shifting the Monkey," I think it was called, but it was about the monkey of responsibility. And he says, you know, as an administrator, if you if if one or two teachers are doing bad things and you address the entire staff, he says two things are going to happen. Number one, your good teachers are going to feel guilty. And so they're going to have the weight of responsibility. And number two, your bad teachers are going to be like, oh, it's not only me. And so they're going to actually feel emboldened. And so he says, no, you need to attack those people directly. And I think we've all heard the quote, there's nothing more demoralizing to good teachers than when bad teachers are not held accountable. And so that is actually one of my big convictions is I hate hard conversations and I hate when people get mad at me because I hold them accountable. But if I want a healthy culture that does not bow to fear, I have to live that out. I have to, I have to stand strong in the face of fear. I have to walk into fear um, and with integrity and with kindness and with empathy, have hard conversations because I might be frustrating that one teacher, but the seven teachers around who are seeing that bad teacher being held accountable, they are actually held. They, they get more emboldened. They get more, strengthened and they are willing to do harder things and to engage harder conversations because then they know man it's being supported yeah and educational leaders if they've been in education for a while they should get that because that's what we do in our classroom agreed but in the classroom it's a really easy conversation with a student because the default of because i said so actually still applies because you're the authority (laughs) as as an administrator sure i'm the authority but i'm also an adult some of whom uh other adults are older than me uh, and, and they, they, you know, this Casey, the expectations we have of students do not apply to teachers and administrators. 
<laughs> yeah, but you probably didn't say because I, t- I told you to, right? I mean, you probably explained to them. I have never they're... said that. I think if I have yeah. to say that as an administrator, if I have, to, I used to have a boss who would like to remind me that he's my boss, uh, and that's that's an "I told you so" statement. That you only say that when you're stuck, yeah. and you really don't have a solid solution or reason. You might be my bo- boss, but as humans, we're equal, so that's not going to be enough for me. Yeah, <laughs> I get you get to make the fine, you know. So I, I don't know. That's a frustrating. Um, thing okay, too. I I kind of have one more, but I would love sure. to see if, if there's one that you have come up with. You know, the only one I brought to the table, and I, and I really was I was doing a lot of other thinking, so I didn't spend a lot of time on what our yeah, thanks, actual gods it. are. Yeah, I try to ignore <laughs> whatever you're saying. You, you know that, but the one I have is content, making content our god, and I see content as one of the greatest stressors on our teachers. Listen, I don't have time to slow down. I've got to get through the content. I don't have time for that. I've got to get through the content. And my favorite quote about education, I've said this before, but education is a profession where you need to know how to waste time in order to save it. And people who are worshiping the content don't ever spend that necessary time to set up future success. Or also how many relationships are broken over the last century or so of, of teachers worried more about the content. And so they they ruin relationships with colleagues, with their students. Yeah, in fact, I, that's the thing I see most often when a relationship between a teacher and student breaks down, it's because that teacher, the only thing that they're doing with that kid is saying, please get this done, please yep. get this done. We have to get the through kid, this. Yeah, the kid's like, please leave me alone. Please, like, this isn't, this is a tiny portion of who I am and you won't stop harassing me about it. Yeah. Or, yeah. Not just even leave me alone, but please listen to who I'm at, who I am. Please listen to where I am uh, and what's going on. You know, there's a really um, beautiful quote by uh, a woman named Maya Angelou that says something like, people will forget what you say, but remember how you feel, something like that. And I think <laughs> that applies to the situation because content, although is important, it's just the vessel to our students, man. And it's just a vessel to... Um, Again, I think content is it falls under the category of graduation, right? Graduation is the is the end mark of focusing on content. I've said this before, I think, which is I can I've never had a conversation with my kids about following the law. I teach them to be good kids and they don't break the law. But if I only teach them to follow the law, they can never break the law and be shitty kids. And so we have to have something higher than graduation, higher than content. We want to use them and they're important. But you and I both know, and we chat about this with, with chat GPT, the content that we are asking our kids to learn is at their fingertips. And even if I'm, I'm going to, you know, 45 minutes from heading to uh, an innovative schools summit conference, anything that we talk about, if it's innovative and we're already discussing it, it's already old. right? Yeah. By the time I bring it back to my classroom and try and introduce it this year or next year, it's already either the norm or in the backseat. So content can't be our God because it's, it's all, it's always old. I I was looking for an opportunity to sneak this quote in from, uh, from Socrates. And so uh, so I'm going to, I'm just, yeah, I'm going to, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to push in right now. Um, One of the problems, and I'll be curious what, what you think of this conference that you attend is we think some of these things are going to fix all the problems we've always had. And when I say we always have had these problems, here's the quote from over 2000 years ago. This is Socrates talking about children. He says, 
The children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for elders and love chatter in place of exercise. Children are now tyrants, not the servants of their households. They no longer rise when the elders enter their room. Like these conversations we're having are thousands of years old, right? And so these little things that are supposed to be the saving grace of education, they're just not going to be because education is about people and community and unity. Yeah, I love that quote because I, I don't think it's so much as a, an indictment against children, but as against old people. Yep. <laughs> right. We're just a bunch of cranky people who just want young kids to think that we that we're gods, that we are respect me. But not 10 years ago, uh, I was also rebellious and I was also not rising and whatever. Um, but you actually, in a strange way, I can connect that to my third God that I try to come up with. And I try to be very intentional about coming up with ones that were a little bit outside of maybe our um, easy peripheral, but also ones that maybe could have some pushback. But one of them is safety, a God of safety, which is a strange one to say, because I want to send my kids to school every day and have them feel safe. I have conversations all the time with kids that if you can't be safe and you can't make the kids in your classroom safe, then you kind of can't be in class. Like everyone needs to come to school, feel safe, whether it's like you can't make fun of kids or bully kids, obviously with the physical safety, but here's the, the, the thing that I have in, in our God of pursuing safety. Again, what, what's the bargain that we've, that we've struck? What are we, what's the unintentional consequence? If we are going after safety, 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 that also means that our kids aren't learning how to do dangerous things carefully, right? So there was a book that was like uh, something like uh, 10 things, 10 dangerous things every child should do, something like that, that I read a while ago. And one of them was, they need to walk around the, your city by themselves. And he says, and I know that that terrifies you because when you're with them, they're kind of rambunctious. They're not paying attention. Well, that's because they're deferring to your authority and to your protection. But when they're by themselves, they feel the weight of isolation and they actually learn how to be more aware and how to, they are, they're more cautious. And I love that concept of in our schools, in our strive for safety, and I'm putting aside, like, I'm not including, like, gun safety and stuff like that. Sure. Like, obviously, yeah. that's not what I'm talking about. But in our striving for safety, are we producing kids who are soft or kids who, like, like what, and I'm actually wrestling with this, what, what are we producing? And to your point, like, safety sometimes means not arguing, not, not having a fight, right? We don't want kids to fight. Getting in a fight is pretty good, actually. Uh, arguing with an adult is pretty good. We need to teach them how to do it in a healthy way, but we don't want to get rid of it. Fight club in the classroom. Is that what you're? No, that's not what I'm saying. But here's an, here's a tangible example. I have um, a, a couple of first graders, boys who are constantly getting in trouble at recess. And they came in my office for the third day in a row. And the, con- and the, the problem was they're wrestling. And I had to have a conversation with my aide outside. And I said, boys, what are you doing at recess? And they, they kind of hem and hawed about this unintentional accidentally tripping over each other. And I said, boys, you're wrestling. No, I said, boys, you're wrestling. Yeah, we're wrestling. Is that bad? And they kind of give me a look. I'm like, it's not bad. You're be like, you need to go wrestle. You need to go. Well, we can't get hurt. I don't even care if you get hurt, boys. That's what wrestling do. When you go home, do you wrestle with your dad? Yeah. Yeah. Wrestle with your dad. Do you wrestle at church? No. I'm like, okay. So there's, there's moments that we, that you can't wrestle. You don't wrestle in your mother's grandmother's living room, but I'm not going to get you in trouble for wrestling. Right. And so that maybe is is a good example of 
we want so badly for our kids to be safe on the playground that we've taken away these things that they can get hurt. But those are good things, doing dangerous things carefully. I wonder, too, and so you're talking very much the physical world, but I went to a different place. I wondered if because I'm and, there too. And I, I think we're we're talking about fragile people is what we're and I said soft earlier and that's I wasn't being sensitive enough. We're really we're talking about it for uh, you know people being a little bit fragile, and I think in our effort to protect people's uh, social and emotional health, we probably also have prevented them from building up a, a set of skills where they would know how to deal with that yes. right because independence like i know you raise your kids to be independent they they get out there and they have a lot of fun but like in my household it's the same kind of thing when my kids ask me for help with something that i know they can do or that they are almost ready to do you have to do that because that independence you yep. we all feel good when we can independently conquer something without needing yep. other people support and that's what's going to give us security and confidence and so in a weird way again I don't blame people for giving trophies to everyone who participated. And I don't, I'm not necessarily mad at people for being a little nervous about talking about difficult topics that might make us feel a little bad. But if we do those things, if we avoid the difficult conversations, if we give trophies to everybody, then we're never going to develop the skills to feel like we should, uh, to, to know how to deal with these difficult moments. Um, now, yeah. I don't think we should be intentionally hurting people. And I think that's what we were trying to stop. Like the anti-bullying stuff is about, please stop intentionally hurting other people. Yes. But it it morphed into so, something else. Let me, let me take that to a classroom conversation, because I think the distinction that you're making is, is crucial. And I posted something the other day about shame. Um, and I had a little bit of pushback on it, because I think shame is something that we've gotten rid of that is really, really good. Shame is good. The distinction that because I got some pushback from an old class or an old student of mine, um, and I, I loved his pushback. The distinction that I think needs to be made is intentional public shaming, like me shaming you, is bad. That's not what I should be doing. You feeling ashamed or feeling shame by an action is really, really good. It's one of the few emotions that truly dictates and changes our behaviors. And so, in a classroom, we want so badly to be a safe space that we have reduced or completely gotten rid of hard conversations, whether on, to, on controversial topics, To Kill a Mockingbird being one of them. But what we've also, the unintentional consequence that we have is you learning that when you make a statement without much thought and seeing the kid across the room or the, or the girl sitting next to you get angry, and you feeling embarrassed by your statement. That's a radically important experience that we're getting rid of, which is why I think you are seeing a spike on social media shaming because, and, and Louis CK, although he is a turd of a guy and, and really yeah. made a horrific fall, he had a, a skit that I thought was appropriate where he's like, you know, in your car, you can say some pretty terrible things to the guy next to you, but you would never say that in the elevator, right? You're not going to look at the guy and be two feet away and be like, F you. I hope you die, right? But we'll say that in our car. We do that on social media and we have, and because we've taken it out of the classroom as well, we don't ever experience the, the stomach drop of, holy crap, that was really hurtful to people. One side, one political side used to get shamed for those participation trophies because they're like, oh, you're bubble wrapping your kid. You're trying to protect them for everything. But isn't that 
what we're doing now at the other direction yes. when we're taking yes. out these difficult texts is all oh, your bubble wrap and your kid. Here's what I think the difference is with regard to shame. We should feel that level of shame from time to time to time, but it should be internal. I should have that feeling if I know I've disappointed somebody or if I haven't lived up to my own expectations, the public shaming though, that's not internal that's coming externally. And that causes people to double down on whatever this thing is. So that's the part we shouldn't be shaming people, but we should be feeling it. Yep. So here's where this kind of came out because I had some students who made some poor choices and one of them was in my office just bawling before his parents got there. And one of my initial kind of reactions was to try and alleviate some of this pain. And then I was like, no, I don't want to, this pain is good. He shouldn't be alone and he shouldn't feel that I am like embarrassed of him or I'm like now distant. So I went over, I put my arm around him and I said, buddy, I'm sure you feel embarrassed, probably scared. And I think I actually used the word and probably even ashamed. And then I said, and that's really good. We still love you. We're going to love you through this process and we're going to love you on the other side. But this emotion is good. And I think that we, as a culture, we try as parents, right? We try when kids are embarrassed or my kid was ashamed in classroom, we're going to go attack the teacher. We're going to go to the attack the administrator, right? We don't want my kid to feel that anymore. And then also kids don't feel it because they can get on their phone and go do something and be distracted. And so we're, we're moving on, moving on. So there's, I think this God of safety, everyone should feel safe when they come to school. Safe doesn't mean lack of pain. It just means that we're going to help you walk through it and we're not going to let this intentional hurt happen in our school. You know, I'm I'm glad you brought up social media because that that is really what we're doing. We use social media as a drug to cover up whatever emotions that we're feeling. And um, from every once in a while, I like to read poems because that makes you sit and listen to me for a while. Um, so <laughs> I have a poem and, and I want you to keep in Just mind. because I'm silent doesn't mean I'm listening. Okay. It's <laughs> a good point. Um, this poem I'm about to read to you is from 1872. It's well before there was social media, um, but it's to that same point. So it's called, we wear masks and it's Paul Lawrence Dunbar. We wear the mask that grins and lies It hides our cheeks and shades our eyes. The debt we pay to human guile with torn and bleeding hearts, we smile and mouth with myriad subtleties. Why should the world be overwise in counting all our tears and sighs? Nay, let them only see us while we wear masks. We smile, but oh, great Christ, our cries to thee from tortured souls arise. We sing. But oh, the clay is vile beneath our feet and long the mile. But let the world dream otherwise, we wear the mask. Isn't that what social media is? It is our mask that we show the world. To use your point of this poem that was written a very, very long time ago, it's not what it is. It's what it's always been on steroids. We have always worn masks. We've always portrayed who we're not. Um, But now we have this thing that not only can portray who we're not, I have direct access to anybody and I can say the most vilest of things and have zero consequence for it. Cause I just turn off my phone and walk away and I don't have to suffer through. I don't have to suffer through the emotion of seeing you in pain and seeing you in destruction. Um, and so it is a very unique tool that we now have that we haven't figured out yet. And we, I don't think we will understand the devastation of it for another 10, 20 years. I think we're beginning to see the, 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 the fruits of its destruction, 
But when we now have kids, generations of kids who have had it at their fingertips, I had a kid in first grade talking about how his mom was getting him Snapchat. And I thought, oh, my word, this kid is in a world of trouble. I'm terrified to see what. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say all of these things that humans have been dealing with forever. What we're seeing now is we're seeing all of it as at an accelerated rate. Yes. Right. That's that's what you mean by being on steroids. Yeah, accelerated rate and much more accessible than ever has before. So even when this poem was written, uh, I'm assuming very few had access to it because only those who could afford it or only those who were literate or whatever. Now everybody has access to everything. And as we move forward and we have new technologies and new tools, I think one thing that would be good for us to do as a society is reflect on, okay, what do we know these common things are? We know that we struggle. We know we try to put on a brave face. Well, what's that going to look like when we have social media and we can just pause for a moment, take that picture, you know, see us pretending we're, you know, living this perfect life and push it out there. You know, we had to have known, many people had to have known that that's how we were going to use it. We were going to use it as our mask. They also had to have known that we were going to use it, you know, just like we will shout out things from the safety of our car. We had to have known that behind a keyboard, we were going to say the worst, most vile things sure. that we could, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, it it probably brings out the best and the worst of us. I mean, you and I are communicating. Uh, I'm in New York, you're in Gillette. We are communicating in real time, recording it, and then pushing it out for people anywhere in the world to listen to. So there, it brings out the best of us, and it absolutely brings out the worst of us. So, um, hey, I do need to get head into this conference. And so I, this doesn't have a conclusion to me. And I think that I'm okay with that, because this is why I think we, we don't navigate this in education, because there's not a quick and simple, tangible solution. But I guess my big question or my big ask for anyone listening or for myself and you is when we pursue something in education, I, I think it's appropriate to look at it as a God. And if it's a God, if it's a God, what is that God asking you to what's the, un, un, what's the uh, unintentional consequence? If you follow, like, right, like if you follow the Bible, it tells you things that you cannot do. Um, if you follow the Quran, it tells you things that you cannot do. Whatever religion that you follow, it has a list of things that you have to sacrifice in order to follow this God. I think we need to look at education in a similar way. Yeah. And so that is pretty close to what my takeaway is in this, which is um, be aware of what you are worshiping, what your gods are. And I think just as important, be aware of how you are worshiping that God. Yeah. Because that's going to be the thing that makes the difference. That's my takeaway. So we're on the same page. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it this time. It was, and thanks for wading into this conversation with me. Uh, I think we need to revisit it at various times in various ways. So sure. You bet. Hey brother, have a great day and do great things. And keep knocking. There it is. <laughs> awesome. Right, brother. Hey Peace. man, have, have, have a lot of fun, man. See you. See you. Just two friends hanging out Sharing ideas, talking about Things that matter in this life How to make a change, how to make it right Gonna start a podcast to change the world Speak our minds and hearts Let our voices be heard Gonna make a podcast and make a difference 
the change we want to see And nothing's gonna stop us now Talk about the issues need to be addressed Politics to human rights, we'll give it our best. We'll have guests on our show, experts in their field. We'll learn and grow together, make our message heard. We're gonna start a podcast and change the world. Speak our minds and hearts, let our voices be heard. Start a podcast, make a difference. We'll be the change we want to see, and nothing's gonna stop us now.